Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brew Hoop Podcast. A little bit of a different episode today. We unfortunately don't have the threes a crowd feel of, of every episode that we've had to this point. I'm but fortunately, I'm still joined by my compatriot, Riley Feldman, who is checking in with, with me after this delightful, delightful whopping of the Kings. R- Riley, how gleeful on a scale from one to that crazy Giannis dunk over Costa Cupas are you right now? I'd give it um, probably like on the lower end of average of one of Giannis's posters over Aaron Baines last year. So I'm pretty excited, but I mean, you know, not like jump out of the building excited. Oh, okay. That's good. Well, I was pretty excited. Those dunks are ridiculous. It's it's crazy how he keeps raising the bar. Like I thought the, I really enjoyed the oop, which I granted, I think I most enjoyed it because it was slammed through the hoop so fast that it slammed off his shoulder, (laughs) rammed back into the backboard and then like could have hit him in the face again. But the ferocity with which he's just delivering these dunks is, is, is outrageous. They're so routine that now the highlight is like whatever face he's doing on the way back, you know, like how quick can the cameraman get to his face? That's what's most exciting about the dunks now, because actually going through and slamming through and, you know, whatever, ripping the net down. That's pretty routine for him. So his mean mug has to be like one of the more distinctive looks in the NBA. That's like one of my favorite things, especially because everyone thinks of him as this like nice, naive guy. But then that's just such a clear shift in demeanor when he actually is out on the court. Yeah, he looks like he's like trying to do like a raging bull impression. Like I'm expecting steam to come out of his nose, (laughs) nose and ears. It's so funny. It is totally like against everything, which is, a you know, obviously a testament to him as a competitor, but it's so different from the Giannis that we know off the court and in any other setting. So yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's quite something. Yeah. So let's just, let's dive right into this. Usually we're not recording right after a game. So we get, we get a chance to have some fresh thoughts. As I was telling Riley before I had written up a bunch of thoughts in my quick recap and then promptly deleted all of them. So I'm, I'm flying off what I can remember now. Riley is probably has like a very organized sheet of thoughts, but I mean, the Bucks win tonight in uh, you know, Sunday evening, 144 to 109. It really was a thwomping after basically part after partway through the first quarter, the Kings had run out to around a 15 to seven lead. They were using a bunch of scoring, a bunch in transition. Bucks looked pretty off kilter defensively. Bud calls a timeout. And then all of a sudden they rattle off an 18 to one run and they really don't let up from there. Their offense looked a lot more uh, jointed and a lot more like what the kind of offense we've seen all season progressing forward. Obviously they attempted 56 three point attempts today, which is an outrageous number. They set a franchise record hitting 22 of them. They'd been stuck on that 19 for a couple of games. If Pat Connaughton finally broke over that, 
And John Henson then tagged in uh, two more to try and get his three-point average back up to normal. So this really was a, a thrashing on on all respects. Giannis finishes with, what is it here, 26 points, 15 rebounds, 11 assists. His assist to get the triple-double was a crazy, awesome cross-court pass to Pat Conton in the corner to get that 10th assist and give him the triple-double. Still, if you want to pick any nits, which I really don't think we need to in a game like this, but Giannis did have five turnovers. That continues to be something that is a storyline we'll have to follow. Uh, Riley, what were some of your initial thoughts um, just coming off of this absolute destruction of the Sacramento Kings? I thought it was interesting because the one thing about the Kings that you've heard from like a lot of people, I will fully admit that I hadn't watched much in the way of Kings basketball this season. Yep. Sorry, Sacramento <laughs> fans who clearly are listening to the podcast. Um, but the one thing that you kind of you would note when reading previews or like, you know, recaps is that a lot of teams that they were getting wins against, they weren't expecting or they weren't ready for the pace that they play out. And it was interesting seeing that Milwaukee seemed set to kind of fall into a similar trap right off. Like you said, they, you know, went down 15 to seven right away. And it was just like Sacramento running up and down the court. And so I thought the one overarching thing that was interesting about the game was the fact that the Bucks kind of stuck to their plan and they slowly but surely ground down the Kings by just sticking to the system. And that's something that we can kind of take away for, you know, the weeks up ahead, especially with the West Coast road trip, but also as the season goes on, the fact that we're going to have to see how many different types of opponents that kind of system works against. Okay. So we played boss and we can kind of get into that later. So what kind of issues does that give you? If you try to stick to your offensive system, you play against a high tempo Sacramento Kings, but you Kings team, but you stick to your system and you end up, you know, whomping them by 30 some odd points. Um, so I think for me, that was what was most overarching. Interesting was the fact that this is a young team that came into in the Kings that came to Milwaukee really quick, look like they might have the bucks on their back foot, but then, you know, but takes the time out. They kind of recombobulate themselves, stick back to the principles. And all of a sudden, you know, the game's over essentially by halftime. So that was my main thing. And we can kind of get into a little bit more about, you know, the different players and things like that as we go along. Yeah, for sure. Comparing and contrasting it with the Boston game is, is informative because you think about Boston's as a team led by a coach who's knows that he's willing to potentially shift their style a little bit. I mean, you saw them shoot 55 threes or whatever in that game. And like I said, we'll get back, we'll get into that more later in the show, but that's basically what the bucks were doing. And then the bucks got away from their system. It didn't shoot quite as many threes in that game, 29 a season low, but today they shift right back to what it is that they want to do. And the Kings basically play right into Milwaukee's hands that way by trying to pick up the tempo playing the way that they've played all season, you expect them to want to do the same thing too. They found some early season success with some young players for a franchise that hasn't had much success up to this point. So why would they feel like they should change anything that they're doing when they're on a five game win streak? Granted, some of those came against pretty mediocre opponents, but there was a good amount of, you know, small amount of hype surrounding the the Kings in their early season success here. But not surprising that they would come in and try and do the same thing that they've been doing lately without an ability to adjust and, you know, they come into the game shooting, I believe they, they said on the broadcast, they shoot the fourth least percentage of their shots are from deep. So that also plays into the Bucks' hands. Granted, they did shot more than that typical percentage today, got up, foisted up 36 attempts. But it really, it really sort of played out how you would expect a game to play out where the Kings are trying to rush the ball up and down the court. And you saw really when, when Milwaukee was able to get their defense set in the half court, though, the Kings sputtered remarkably so, much more so than when they were able to rip it up and down the court. And then, the, you know, the other interesting thing is that it's a Sunday matinee game, and sometimes those are just kind of weird, and you think about 
the Bucks. I, I just remember back to that Bucks game last season where it was a Sunday game against Miami. They lose like 97 to 79. It really was a, a horrific performance. And so it sort of felt like trick or treat the kind of Bucks teams that you would get on, on Sunday games. And you, if you look back at their record last year, which I did, they were five and three in Sunday games. Two of those were overtime losses. A couple of those wins were like over the Bulls and the Nets. So take for that what you will. But I mean, you have to be encouraged by the fact that they came out today took care of business like they have against all season against a lot of these teams and just really thrashed the Kings and didn't let their didn't take their foot off the neck. Yeah, I agree. And it was uh, so much more relaxing watching Buddy Heald take a pull up from <laughs> mid range versus an Alf Horford wide open from three. That was such a change in terms of my need to take some Tums later this evening. So <laughs> thank you for that, Buddy Heald. Shout out, Buddy Heald. Um, I would say, I'm trying, I'm just kind of like looking over the box score now. Um, Brooke Lopez, he kind of, it seems like he's cooled off a little bit from three, but I, th- yeah, I two think for nine today. Yeah. Yeah. Two for nine. And I think the beauty is regardless and of how slow he's been, the fact again, that they're sticking to it because it's so critical that Brooke, Brooke Lopez is out there um, just to get the offense to work. And I think a game like tonight where it seemed like Giannis finally kind of it's not like you got a clue, but he finally had like his first fundamentally sound game from like you know, both ends, especially in the offensive end. And it just accentuated the fact that, you know, for the system to work, Giannis needs to be the wrecking ball inside. And for Giannis to be the wrecking ball inside, everybody has to be, you know, willing to shoot from the outside. And to finally see it kind of click for the first time, I think Giannis had a team high plus 39 plus minus, uh, which is, is insane. That's <laughs> yeah, super crazy. And um, so I think that just accentuates the fact that when things kind of click and as the season goes along and as Giannis continues to kind of find his place within the system, he's going to put up crazy numbers, obviously, but it seemed so much smoother today. And part of that was the, and he did have a couple of possessions where like he got, uh, who's the rookie, uh, Marvin Bagley went one-on-one and like Giannis was just kind of hunted out. Like he would call for the ball walking up, you know, as they're setting the offense to just go one-on-one in the post with them, which is fine. And obviously he scored a ton. He's Marvin Bagley's the new Jared Allen for 2018, apparently. Um, but I think it's just impressive once you kind of see it all smoothly working, how deadly he is. And again, it was relatively effortless for him, which is exactly what we're looking for as the season goes on, essentially. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that you talk, you were talking about, it seeming effortless and it, I think that's an important contrast from what we've seen so far, because it seems like almost every game so far, it's been incredibly effortful for Giannis. He's been, he seemed to be forcing it at points and certainly he can fall into those lapses again today. He had a, a, a couple of those points, but I mean, he only gets up 11 field goal attempts, which is tied for second on the team. Malcolm Brogdon had 11, Eric Bledsoe had 11. Chris Middleton at 12. So a much smaller number than what he's been hitting up usually. And and you could really see him fall into that facilitator role. You saw him setting up Tony Snell with that favorite pet play of mine where you hand the ball off to him and Giannis uses his wingspan to try and seal it off and give Tony an open look from three. Who, shout out Tony Snell, go three for three from deep today. Also went to the line to do a four-point play. We'll continue to ride for Snell. Uh, but it's so important to see how Giannis is going to fit into this scheme throughout the rest of the season. And you could obviously tell there's times where he gets frustrated and he just, there's times where he doesn't get a call. Maybe potentially he went to the line 12 times today. So that wasn't as big of an issue, but I really like seeing him in the type of facilitator role. I think that's really when he's maximized is when he's not 
getting some of the blinders on. And granted, Heat has every right to do that because he can take guys off the dribble really easily. But I think this offense is going to be humming at its best when he buys into the fact that he can be this huge facilitator as well, uh, particularly on a day where, I mean, the typical guys who who you would expect to get assists, Eric Bledsoe only has one assist, Brogdon has three, Chris Middleton has three. So I think Giannis as facilitator, as well as to going with his scoring prowess, is, is, but when he goes in with that facilitating mindset, I think that's really when the team is going to hum. How dare you overlook Matthew Delvadova's five assists this afternoon? Well, okay, okay, it's all sacrilegious right. of you. No, Matt, no, I told I, that is I totally rude. But that, that was that was on me. Delhi fans are coming for you right now. No, I agree completely. And it's it's been so crazy watching from like when Kid first came and like the whole idea of like oh well we'll just make Giannis the point forward and that didn't work out all that well. But in short stints where you're not asking Giannis to do like. I mean, you're asking him to do a lot, but you're not asking him to like, you know, see the play developing way far ahead of time. I remember, what was it? I think a couple, maybe a week ago or so, there was the play where he was falling out of bounds and he just like, you know, no look, trying to like tossed it back and bounced to Tony Snell in the corner and how he talked about how the system is designed essentially so that he knows there's always going to be somebody there as a bailout guy. And that makes life so much easier for him where he can focus on, you know, like you said, taking guys off the dribble or trying to, you know, rush the basket and if that's he incurs so much resistance where it's not going to be viable he knows in the back of his mind he doesn't have to think too hard about it just kind of leap up in the air and launch it out to the corner and find somebody whether or not that ends up in a shot or it keeps moving around the perimeter and they can reset the offense um it's just it's so much easier for him and i think that'll pay dividends uh, especially as the season goes on and then in the playoffs when other teams might focus even more on Giannis, and then you kind of choose opponents to pick their poison do you try and shut everybody down on the perimeter and then let Giannis feast or and, and that'll be kind of interesting seeing how other teams uh you know kind of shift throughout the season defensively to account for that yeah and i i think the next level then for Giannis, i mean obviously he has excellent court vision is just getting those passes to be really precise putting it right in the pockets for his shooters in the corners i think that's a super advanced passing skill that's probably going to take him some time to learn. You saw one today where he passed it to Brooke Lopez in the corner. It was just a little bit off, and Brooke had to sort of adjust his body and get it to rifle it off. But, I mean, then you saw the one to Connaughton in the corner, and it was basically right in the pocket, which was ridiculous. But it'll be that'll be another interesting wrinkle to see as the season goes on. A quick shout-out to Giannis destroying his fellow countryman, Costa Kufis, who, despite that, was the only Sacramento King who was at least – net neutral on the day in terms of plus minus plus zero for Costa Kufis. That's so, how <laughs> get that tattooed, get that tattooed Costas. <laughs> he deserves that. I, I, my other lingering question from this is how many beers do you think Chris Middleton shotgun last night? He That's looked a really good question. so sluggish all day. He really seemed disinterested on the defensive end. Well, I mean, I guess he's earned that, right? You would hope that wouldn't be the case, but no, I, I think there's definitely a concern about as he continues to be elevated as the second offensive option, what does that do to him and his effort on the defensive end? Not that, you know, he's horror awful Jabari Parker uh, bad or anything like that, but it's something to watch. But I think as you know, even this afternoon, he's still offsetted by his, the radical shift in his sh- uh, shot profile and how many like just simple brush screen and then he gets the pass back from Giannis and just takes the three. Mm-hmm. The fact that that is now the end result on the offensive end can help offset a little bit if he's not exactly bringing on the defensive end. But um, 
I don't know. It's been a couple of years since I guess you could really call him like a legitimate three and D or at least focus on the D as a, you know, real legit. He's a passable defender, but he's never been for at least the past couple of years, in my opinion, like a super crazy, awesome defender. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree. And obviously I was just joking about the shotgunning beer, but he just looks, he looked pretty slow um, out there today. And, you know, it's a Sunday game. He only played 22 minutes. So obviously Bud's handling his minutes significantly better than Jason Kidd did, who probably would have still had him out there uh, in the fourth quarter. And that's the other thing. 38 minutes all day long. Today would have been a 38 minute game all day long. The past three years, it would have been uh, 38 minutes, probably one for five from three, maybe five for 20 overall. That would have been a really nice Middleton game. But he'd be four for 14 from the Tough Shot Express. So you got to keep that in mind. <laughs> so the other thing that I, the la- I think the last thing I really wanted to touch on from this, because it uh, was really was a, a thrashing and it's going to be interesting to see what, if the Bucks can carry that momentum forward is. Uh, so the Bucks go basically go full tank at like six minutes left in the fourth quarter. They get Henson in. So it's basically like Henson, Thon Maker, Delavadova, Pat Connaughton, who, gets minutes with the regular rotation people, but also does some of his finest, finest work in garbage time. His, uh, his two denied dunk attempts were, were spectacular. And then his real dunk attempt was, was fine as well. But Bucks go full tank at 609. They're up 123 to 95. And from there, obviously you can do the math, but Bucks, you know, still win that period 21 to 14. And I remember it feels like in seasons past, Jason Kidd might go to the tank unit kind of, you know, potentially in the fourth quarter, if he was somehow feeling fancy that day, wanted to go to the tank unit, he rarely did that. And then they would start to, the other team would start to chip back in. And then you'd have your starters eventually coming back in. That just felt like a similar refrain we saw these past couple of seasons. So it was encouraging to see the Bucks actually continue to to lay it on the Kings. And granted, they mostly had their tank unit in as well, but that was encouraging to see from the Milwaukee side. Yeah, I got a little nervous there because like you were saying, you kind of almost get like a like a post-traumatic stress disorder when like the Kings are hitting a couple of threes and they're still down like 21 <laughs> points or something like that with four minutes left. You're like, oh my God, Giannis is definitely going to have to check back in, right? Yeah. Luckily, that's no longer the case. And I don't know if it's like you're saying they had their tank unit out there, but and it was interesting because it seemed like the Bucks were just gunning to make any sort of final three to break the franchise record. So shout out to Pat Connaughton for uh, breaking the franchise record for made threes in the game or team made threes in the game, I should say. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you're right that in years past, we definitely would have gotten maybe the final 30 seconds tank team. Uh, it's a shame DJ Wilson isn't active right now because human victory cigar. But I, th- I thought it was impressive. Well, Delhi now. It is Delhi. Delhi's passed. They passed off the baton to Delhi. But I think I I found it interesting that in the garbage units, um, I mean, Sterling was out there and he was kind of trying to do a little bit. He kind of, it was like summer league Sterling all over again, where he was definitely ball dominant. Um, But even then the system still worked where I was like, okay, John Henson, you're going to get three and Thon, you're in the corner. You're going to get a three. So even with the garbage unit where the guys are kind of trying to impress or whatever they're trying to do in the final five minutes, the system still sort of, functions and it still finds the right shots even if they aren't going in as and at as high of a rate as they might have with the starters totally agree and last thing i'd like to say is the matthew delavidova to thon maker alley oops continue to be my favorite garbage time thing today today <laughs> today's attempt was uh delhi just really going for it and thon it's like barely even getting his fingers on the ball which is never a good sign and then like almost falling to the ground he looked like a, like if a rim rocker had already like missed the ball and was just like going to fall on a mat there. 
I, uh, that it was, it was a spectacular, spectacular fail. So always keep your eye out for that when it gets to garbage time. I've never seen somebody with so little lift with as much height as Yon or as Thon has. It's so crazy because like <laughs> he's got this super long body and like he'll only get like a two inch vertical. And because he's got really long arms, you're like, okay, well maybe he can get that. But it's just <laughs> he's just is man, the lack of athleticism is disturbing at times. So and the, shout and the, out to Thon. The best part is that his hand he's got there's like even if he gets his hands on it, there's like a 75% chance he just drops it. He'll just bobble it. it. He'll like he'll land again, he'll bobble it a couple of times and <laughs> <laughs> and then fall over. There's, yeah, there's, it's classic. There's no worse sight than a Thon Maker getting the ball in the post. It's true. It's true. It's it. It is truly delightful though to see him try and do a pivot, and then he just like I don't I don't even know why he like just literally has no patience. He just starts to whirl around and like a like a. It's like so a true. The whirling. He throws his. He like sticks his elbow out, and they just start spinning. You're like, <laughs> you kind of start rooting for him a little bit there. You're like, yeah, you're gonna get this Thon. You got it. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> It is kind of nice. Well, and you mentioned Sterling just really quickly. He obviously played with the herd uh, the other night. So it was good to see get see him get some minutes. And I mean, it's really nice to have the starters be able to to rest more. And uh, I, th- I think we'll start to have some more of these garbage time minutes where we can really uh, have some of our pet favorites, you know, learn what they're doing. And speaking of pet favorites, it's time for our Dante DiVincenzo highlight segment, which Kyle thankfully came up with a better name for uh, for me. So you don't have to hear that terrible uh, it's on like Dante Kong again. It is Dante's in- time for Dante's Inferno. So Riley, for many of the games since our last podcast, what uh, what is your Dante DiVincenzo highlight uh, from the past couple of games? That's a really good question. I would have to say the highlight would be seeing Dante's Inferno in person in oh. Minneapolis about a week and a half ago. Um, it was amazing the amount of grit that he displayed. Uh, no, what I think is, Mo- like the, the weirdest thing that I definitely of all the things that I expected him to do, the thing that I least expected was he would be like one of our most prolific offensive rebounders, or at least dude who flies in for offensive rebounds. So um his stat lines still aren't like he'll have, you know, a pretty good scoring night every once in a while. But tonight, what did he have? Like five points, uh like maybe five rebounds, maybe less than that. I can't remember. Uh one for four from three, I believe. So it wasn't like a crazy scoring night, but the fact that he continues to get placed in critical like defensive moments, especially in somewhat closer games, I think is still a testament. So I think he got a little bit of burn in Boston. And then in uh, when he was in Minnesota, there was a couple of three. So I think just everybody in the crowd in Minneapolis having to acknowledge the arrival of Dante was probably the highlight since our last podcast for me. Yeah. So uh, Dante's final stat line today, five points, three rebounds, three assists and two steals which feels like the kind of stuff we're going to get from Dante most of this season. He seems like, I think if he scored a few more points, he like might be one of those guys who would make the Zach Lowe all-stars or whatever at the end of the year with uh, it's just like guys that do interesting things and you know, are, are like hustling out there. He always has some interesting guys that he puts on that list, but I'd have to say, I mean, this Dante DiVincenzo is just such a peculiar, peculiar player. I mean, obviously I was, it's on record very low on the pick when he came out. We were but, both uh, haters. Yeah, both we were huge both haters. Huge haters. Uh, my dad told me I was wrong. He told me it's got all the <laughs> intangibles. 
he's got all the kind of stuff you want from a player. And I told him, all right, dad. And uh, boy, if that I right there, torpedo his his opinion or your opinion of his right there. When your dad was like, OK, intangibles, you're like, all right. Uh, yeah, but... Low opinion of him already went further down. OK, <laughs> but uh, oh, my dad listens to the pod, too. So we'll shout out to my dad, um, shout out Mr. Paris, who also came up with the nickname Red Hot, which I liked as a nickname. I think he'll have lots of nicknames over the years. But the thing that I like that Dante DiVincenzo did two quick things in the Boston game, he caught the ball. And well, one in transition, he had an end one finish, but on one, he caught the ball and I can't, I, I, I'm actually, I've been so surprised by how quick he is off the dribble when he catches the ball moving. Uh, like he'll come off a screen or come off from the wing, catch the ball and then like quickly shift his body, drive right into the lane. And he's even had a few like lefty, he had a really nice lefty finish in the Boston game against traffic, which I just truly didn't expect from him at all uh, is, is, is an ability to finish at the rim, which was really encouraging. And then today, uh, a significantly, significantly smaller one that uh, ties much more back to the intangibles thing is he, Malcolm Brogdon was basically on, on the right wing, lined up with, with De'Aaron Fox and De'Aaron Fox is obviously a tenacious defender, significantly quicker than Malcolm Brogdon. And then DiVincenzo comes over with Buddy Heald trailing. DiVincenzo sets a screen so then Brogdon can go baseline and then Buddy Heald switches over. Um, but instead of DiVincenzo like rolling or, or popping, he just like extends his arms out right in De'Aaron Fox's grill, basically stops him and you know, basically blocks him out way out there. So then he can't recover in any sort of way to help Heald. Brogdon gets in. I think he missed the shot. But it's uh, it, it's one of those that, you know, it's just those kind of little plays that are like, okay, he's he's you just notice him significantly more on the court than any of these previous Bucks first round picks when they seem to be have an incredible propensity to seem invisible out there. Yeah, and I think what'll be interesting kind of keeping track of him over the years is you're right that we're all super excited because compared to our previous first round picks, it's like, oh my God, the gates have finally opened. But like, what does an idealized version of Dante, like what what does he contribute? Is it just like he does all these small things, but at like a slightly more prolific level or does he kind of morph into a shooter or scorer and he kind of does the other stuff on occasion. So I think that'll be interesting. Like he's perfect for what the team's now needs now in the rotation, like just an all around guy who's able to do pretty much a little bit of everything. So then what does a couple of years of development, what kind of player does he turn into from here? So I think right now definitely pleased with everything he's contributing, even if the sidelines aren't like super crazy. The fact that he's getting like something in every single category is uh, worth mentioning. And then we'll just have to see what kind of player Bud morphs him into. Yeah, and you hope his shot starts falling a little more. He went one for four from three. But um, as of right now, you have to be pretty encouraged from what you've seen. So I think that'll close it up for for King's thoughts and Dante's Inferno, of course. So I think the next big thing is obviously, of course, we're not talking about an undefeated team anymore, Riley, which... Some Gasp. people, <laughs> some people, <laughs> obviously uh, uh, a little bit disappointed by in the the four point loss, one seventeen to one thirteen to Boston last Friday. Really uh, interesting game. I mean, I, th- I think by now most listeners know the whole you know the whole story. Boston really forced Milwaukee into trying to destroy them in the paint. I mean, the Bucks were plus forty in the paint, and by doing that, they essentially kept stayed out and stayed on Milwaukee's shooters. Milwaukee only shot twenty nine three point attempts, went nine for twenty nine, thirty one percent. That was their lowest three points or three point attempts of the year. Boston obviously nearly hit the, I'm not sure if you knew this Riley, but they almost got the NBA record 
for most three pointers made in the game. I, 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 I barely heard that until today. Um, when, back to the depths of 2017 of sorts, if you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but so they go 24 of 55 and obviously the 55 is the more eye popping number because Milwaukee today gets up 56 attempts and 55 is like the, that's like a kind of number the Bucks would hope to do. So you sort of watched Boston play the kind of game that you would expect Milwaukee to play within their offense and Milwaukee played a kind of game that, uh, you know, still had, I mean, 111.5 is their offensive rating, which is still really good it, and honestly was a little more akin to like what they would do last year where they have 29 three-point attempts um they get to the line a good amount all most of their points are coming in the paint so i, I think the, the thing the, the way i want to approach this though is how we should think about that game in terms of uh the lack of defensive adjustments on milwaukee's end so eric name obviously friend of pod writer for the athletic former brew hoop alumnus uh, asked bud uh, about you know their base defensive scheme and relying on it for much of the game and uh, bud responded this to to him this way uh, quote we're really leaning heavily on just trying to continue to enforce our principles and just really build habits at the end of the day you need to build habits that are getting you through the season and preparing you for the playoffs adjusting and things like that are important and that becomes a habit you have to be able to adjust, but I would say we are significantly leaning towards just sticking with our principles, sticking with our basic stuff, trying to get really good, really solid there, end quote. So Riley, what are some of your first reactions to, I would say, first and foremost, the lack of adjustments that we really saw throughout the course of the game? I would say, first off, I'm not sure how adjusting and things like that becomes a habit. Uh, that's kind of, that was <laughs> from Coach Bud there. No, um... I guess for me, I mean, obviously it was super frustrating. I'm one of the believers that as long as Al Horford walks the earth, we're never going to win another game because God is here <laughs> to play against. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's the worst having to watch Giannis try and play against Al Horford in the post of oh, the worst. Anyhow, I think the worst um, part is how slow Al Horford still seems. Uh, that's the thing. I and mean, it's just so like, methodical. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so consistent. It like happened all in the playoffs last year. I'm like, oh my god, if I could, if I never have to see Al Horford play the Bucks again, I would be a happy man. Um, but anyways, regarding the question of adjustments, I think for me coming out of the game, obviously super duper frustrating because, like you said, the three point numbers that Boston got were something akin to things that we've had to struggle with in the past, and that was one of the concerns with Bud's defense. Is like, okay, well, if you come up against a team that really works to try and get the three-point shot how you know how does that hurt and we it hasn't been that big of an issue i think we still have like the second best defensive rating in the league or something along those lines but i'm not too concerned about the need for adjustments i would say it would be helpful and i think part of the if bud wants to make adjusting or the ability to adjust on the fly a habit you need to be able to do it or like try it in a game and we didn't really see that but at the end of the day the Bucs only lost by four points and they were right in it at the end of the game. And when you're only down by four points and you give up nearly the NBA record for threes in a game, you kind of tamp down the worry. But I guess what I'm curious about is, because it seemed like they just stuck with, stuck with the principles again this afternoon against the Kings and generally working a little bit difficult to start end but or front end but then buddy hill starts taking starts taking mid-range jumpers and everything the balance is returned to the force so i'm not too concerned about it again we're, we were only eight games in yes it's super disappointing to lose to the celtics again but 
it's a long season. There's still a lot of time to still adjust, but I think what'll be more interesting is what do we do the next time we play the Celtics and do, does anything change? Are we going to run into the same problems? And if that's the case, then you start worrying about, okay, do we even have the capability to adjust? And is adjusting just going to be like going back to the, you know, trap heavy defense or something? Are people, are players going to fall back on Jason Kidd isms on defense, on the defensive end? And that'll be an issue. So I think that's the only thing I'm really concerned about, whatever, nine games into the season at this point. Yeah. So one of the things that I was thinking about after it was I, because you were talked about falling back into Jason Kidd-isms and I, there was one particular play where Giannis like super overhelped onto Aaron Baines. I know Aaron Baines like shoots threes now, but Giannis like went for the steal as opposed to just holding on, holding onto him and allowing Milwaukee to rotate and that kind of stuff. And you've, you've seen that happen, you know, at, at points throughout this year, which I, I think is, is realistic. I mean, they had this specific scheme that was, you know, hyper, organized and hyper detailed that they had to try and follow for, for four years, the majority of them. And so shifting into this new, new scheme seems like it's, it's, it probably is going to take a little bit of time. And obviously Bud believes that too, which is why he wants to stick with it. But you saw them shift into some of the, you know, same tendencies against Boston. And I was curious whether maybe it's even part of this is like some sort of mental thing where they like know last year against Boston, like they had a lot of success against them. They took them to seven in a, in a playoff series. They know that a lot of the stuff that they actually did worked for the most part. I mean, they, they were really close in that entire series. So I wonder if there's some weird sort of mental crutch that flipped in and they started to revert to some of the stuff that they were doing last year. Granted. Yeah. They have new players in, but I mean, the majority of the guys like Giannis and, and Chris and, and I mean, obviously Eric Bledsoe who looked just as bad as he did last year in the playoffs. I wonder if there was some sort of mental hitch that clicked in and, and forced them back into these old, old tendencies. Yeah. That's a good question. Like, in the fourth quarter, when the Bucks were making their comeback, it was like almost all Giannis fueled. It was like, all right, yeah. just give Giannis the ball and get the hell out of the way. And I thought that was interesting because, like, if Bud is over here preaching about the fact that we're just going to stick to our plan, we're going to stick to the system, and we'll build habits and this, that, and the other thing, you know, how does he grapple with the fact, like, okay, Giannis is really hot right now, and every time he gets the ball, he's going to score. So, you know, are you willing to scrap? And that I'm not sure if that really feeds into, like, mental lapse and kind of, you know, falling back on tendencies that they built throughout the playoff series last year. But I think that's another concern is like, how flexible will the system be if Giannis is just going supernova? I mean, obviously most coaches just ride that out, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if it was necessary. I think Boston just gives us trouble, unfortunately, uh, which is a pain in the butt, but there's a whole season to figure it out, but they have like the exact personnel to give, our personnel trouble again it was super frustrating seeing eric Bledsoe struggle against boston that would have been great had, been, had he been able to redeem himself but i, I don't it, it's just interesting that this is the opponent the one that we like you were saying we went to seven games they were the ones that knocked us off our system and you know put things into dysfunction for the first time after an awesome seven game start so i, I thought that was interesting the fact at the end that they went away from that system as well and you know was that just a game thing is that something they're going to go to in the future what does that imply for the future yeah i think the and i i'm, and I, I'm writing there will probably be like base i'm writing this now but i'm working on a companion piece basically to this sort of discussion going further into this too and, and questioning you know what how much should we rely on on bud showing adjustments should he should he be showing that does it even matter with a team that's that's still this young and trying to prove it so uh, but I think the interesting thing is too, I mean, Chris Middleton had a 
terrible shooting game and he destroyed last year in the playoffs. I mean, he went just six for 18 from the field, three for 10 from three. And you know, he was a human flamethrower last year. So, so there's also that factor of it. Uh, and then the other thing that I was, I was kind of thinking about was, uh, you know, obviously they have those, the, the defense I think was, was, was what really stuck out to people. And we just talked about how the offense might be the more actually lingering, interesting question about whether that's something that just Boston can do, or if that's something that other teams can cause Milwaukee to get into, but the defense quite clearly Boston found a unique way to try and attack it, which was the clear pick and pop ability. And you're right. Al Horford is uniquely suited to cause us nightmares for years because he can shoot the three. He can also uh, attack kind of off the dribble. If someone comes out after a pump fake. So he has a lot of capability as, as fives and Boston just has those kind of shooters. Like they have the, they have the kind of depth of people that can go at the five and destroy on, on pick and pops and, and force the buck centers to try and troll out more. Brooke Lopez obviously kind of got caught quite a bit in the middle of those while he was, he was doing what he was supposed to do, which was drop. And, and Bud didn't really adjust to that point until he, I thought he broke out just a little bit of switching to start the fourth, like first part of the fourth quarter, but they didn't really stick to it to any degree. But at least seeing that, I mean, it made me a little, I mean, I think it's silly to feel like that disheartened by it, but it made me heartened also to see the fact that it's like, I mean, they know that like, they're probably going to have to have a switching scheme that they can break out. And so seeing it in, in there, it's like, they're, they're, they're clearly kind of drilling this in practice. So I think the question for me then is like, you, you start to think about, okay, what are like, what are like the goals that you're trying to do for Milwaukee this season? So I, I was listening to the low post and he was talking about how it's been well-documented that like Houston is like, okay, literally all we are trying to do this year is beat golden state. Like we're going to drill this switching defensive scheme. It, you drill it into your brains beyond belief. So that when a tongue comes time that we face them, this is exactly, we, we know exactly what we're going to do. So it's an interesting team building question then for Milwaukee is like, yeah, I think, I think first and more for, for me, first and foremost is instilling Bud's scheme to this point. But the question will be, like you said, is Boston the team that can completely flummox the scheme and put it out of commission? And if that's the case, maybe, uh, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's a question for, for next year. Maybe we'll have to wait till next year to figure that out. Um, and then Milwaukee gets more hyper-focused on that when we know what this team is capable of. But that, that was something else that kind of stuck in my head. Yeah, and I think I'm not super concerned because, you know, we, we kind of win the system. Like you said, put the system in place if you can get a top four seed. Whereas like for Houston or any other team that's gunning for Golden State, they have like, you know, this one juggernaut in mind. Whereas, I mean, I think the end results that the Bucks could be happy with are a lot more, you know, wide ranging. There's a lot more variance in it. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe if you run against the Celtics in like the Eastern conference finals. And again, you have difficulty with it, then maybe you lock in. Um, but I think this is all just kind of a part of the larger conversation where one of the, one of the main like knocks on bud as a coach that I had heard other people talk about was the fact that over the course of a playoff series, um, he might not be the best in the way of adjusting the system, depending on what the opponent is doing on a game by game basis. Same. So just kind of, seeing how they plays out throughout the season series with like the Celtics or any other team that happens to give them trouble will be, that'll kind of give us an idea of, is this proof in the pudding? And then you can kind of also give them a little bit of a break 
because again, like you said, this is the first season under Bud. They're whatever nine games into it. If they get the playoffs and they have a high seed, the issue will be trying to keep expectations at a reasonable level. Because even though the team looks awesome right now, who knows how that's going to play out by the time the playoffs come and you're facing off against teams that might have more ability like Boston or have the personnel to be able to adjust and give our normal system an issue or give it issues. And then, you know, does Bud adjust to that if he doesn't, or if we have difficulties and it doesn't really work, then maybe you kind of come back in the off season and say, okay, well, what is it that we need to fix? Or do we just find more people who are even better for the system? So I, that'll be interesting to see how the bucks tackle that philosophically. Yeah, I agree. Anything else lingering from this, the Celtics game that you wanted to touch on? Um, no, not really. I think, uh, it's just more proof that Milwaukee's a small market team that they, you know, went out on national TV and they just couldn't <laughs> win the big game again. Now, um, you know, for me, it, it was frustrating, but part of the beauty and I, part, it's really fun, like dominating teams by, you know, however many points we end up with, you know, like 17, 18 points on a nightly basis. But part of the reason why we watch the games is to get close games, close compelling games. There's like, okay, who's going to they score. And then we score and it's four points. So even though it's really stressful and disappointing that you lost, um, I thought it was a really fun game to watch. And I look forward to seeing, you know, the next time we match up against the Celtics. So I'm not too worried about it. Nine games into the season or it was eight games at that point. Don't read too much into it. People. Yeah. And it felt different from the Bucks, other close games where the Milwaukee seemed to be seeding the lead to like Charlotte. They were able to make a comeback. This one was a lot of Milwaukee having to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and make a comeback. And it felt like an, an interesting chess match between teams that you hoped will meet in the playoffs and losing by four, I think is, is pretty encouraging for this Milwaukee team. So yeah, I think we'll, we'll uh, not a whole lot else to, to touch on. I mean, that's the beauty of a team that's kind of humming along and slaughtering opponents. So I, I think the most important thing for us to look to next is this West Coast road trip that's coming up. So Milwaukee is going to kick off uh, on Tuesday, the sixth game at the Portland Trailblazers. Starts at 9 p.m. tip central. And then Golden State's on Thursday, 9.30 p.m. central tip. LA Clippers on Saturday, 2.30 p.m. central tip. And then Denver on Sunday, a seven o'clock central tip. Which of those games are you most intrigued by, Riley? I would say for me, it's probably the Denver game because, I mean, Golden State is Golden State. They're just like a more perfect version of themselves. So uh, even if you lose, that's just their Golden State. So I'm not too worried about that. If you make it competitive, great. Um, Clippers, I don't really know what to make of them. Uh, they're kind of to be determined. But I think the Nuggets are... I think what's their record right now? I'd, I'd have to look. I'll go on. They, I'll go on and check. Yeah, yeah. They're uh, they also. I want to say they're like seven one as well. But they look like kind of like how the Warriors are a more idealized version of themselves. The Nuggets seem to be an even crazier version, and they've improved the defense. And I believe, and don't quote me on this, but I think last year when the Bucks went to Denver, they got just absolutely hammered, which is pretty common for teams that visit Denver in their home on their home court. So, I think. Facing off a team that's heavily reliant on three-point shooting, but has a guy like Nikola Jokic, who is the distributor and kind of like everything runs through him and how different of a challenge that is for a defense to kind of deal with. Seeing how we were just discussing, does Bud adjust at all? Or do we just try and run our normal system out there and see how it functions? And, you know, are we going to get drilled by... 30 unending threes and Jokic, you know, schooling people on the inside or how, how are we going to adjust? So I think for all the games that are upcoming, that's the most interesting to me. 
Yeah, and the Denver, just to clear up a few things, Denver is eight and one. Uh, interestingly, they play at the 24th fastest pace. Uh, but they're, so their numbers, they're ranked, this is per NBA.com, they're ranked 11th in offensive rating right now. Uh, and then net rating, they're third. And so a lot of that is due really to their, like you said, their significantly improved defense. And everyone knew that they would be a, you know, a juggernaut on offense. I mean, they, they, have a tons of players. Jokic is such a fascinating player. So I think seeing how Milwaukee chooses to attack them, because clearly Jokic can shoot from three. Jokic can also dribble in and, and distribute incredibly well. So it'll be curious to see how the, the, the dropping scheme works against or, or for Milwaukee, if he's able to kind of pick people apart, if Milwaukee moves Brooke or anyone else up a little bit to try and see if he, if he can counter that kind of, that, that kind of action. Uh, and, you know, obviously they have a, they have a good amount of shooters. And so it's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting chess match, especially Paul Millsap is a, you know, can be a brutal defender. Um, so that should be a tough matchup for, for Giannis as well. And I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I think I'm very intrigued by that one as well. The one that I'll pick, I guess, is, is Portland and Portland, I don't know. I feel like we we kind of know what Portland is. They're a similar team to what they've been in the past. They have obviously Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, two guards who hypothetically could destroy Milwaukee's defense in a similar way that Kemba Walker did uh, in that first game where they're able to pull up from three. Dame Lillard has it's not shy at all about pulling up around a pick. So I think that's going to be a huge game for Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, and, and Dante DiVincenzo. It'll be curious who if Dante gets a chance to go against CJ or even Dame because he he has an amazing ability to slither around screen. So I think it's going to be a huge game for for Milwaukee in that respect. And I think Giannis and, and, and company can probably feast down low. Uh, but I think obviously it's, it's most intriguing to see how the Bucks defense handles those two lead guards. Yeah. I think that's the one thing I think definitely on this entire road trip, emphasizing watching how the defense functions, because as we've seen at game after game, the offense that the Bucks are running out there is pretty damn potent and it can kind of you move around a little bit depending on who's hot and who the emphasis is going to be on. But you have four relatively different challenges. And I mean, Golden State is obviously its own, you know, beast all, all on its own. It's its own beast. But I think it will be fascinating focusing on the defense and seeing, you know, who gives it fits, what kind of players gives it fits. Does it still continue? Like you said, is it the guard who can make you pay for dropping deep on the pick and roll coverage? And then how do you deal with the big man who's able to facilitate? So I think there's a whole bunch of different challenges that'll make the West coast interesting. Uh, even if we have to stay up till 1am to watch all the games. <laughs> yeah. Uh, living out on the East coast, I'm really looking forward to um, staying up for that golden state one. Excited for that one to finish up at uh, one o'clock my time. Well, and so yes. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, it's not like you have anything to do the next day, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, Friday work. I uh, hope they don't listen to this. Um, but, and I think, <laughs> I think, I think you're right. So that, I mean, that's something that I've been, that, that is probably, was probably the most intriguing part of the Boston game is that we saw, I mean, we all kind of knew that the potential first issue with this offense is if you have a, a, an elite lead guard who's able to pull up uh, from deep and it seems like a worthwhile gamble. And then the second one that we've kind of seen here is if you have a, a five who's able to pick and pop and is a, is a really good modern stretch five, which again, seems like a worthwhile gamble, particularly in the regular season when you're able to rack up wins against teams that don't really have that capability. When it comes to the playoffs, like we said, it'll be interesting to see where that what adjustments might be made in a seven game series, if that's the case or not. But this will be an excellent litmus test to test 
both of those things um, as, as the Nuggets clearly run a lot of their offense through their five. And then the Warriors and Trailblazers, you know all about them. They, Their guards are going to take center stage and shoot ridiculous shots. And I don't know, it's, a, it's always entertaining. And Giannis seems to always really get up for the Warriors game too. I know Kevin Durant is, is someone that he was he always looked up to as well. So I, I'm really excited to see that. Yeah, it should be a set of four good games. Do you have a do you have a prediction for how the Bucks will fare on the road? Hundred one hundred percent. So we, let's let's go over our predictions from last time, uh, just so people know that we are keeping tally. Kyle guessed four and one. Adam guessed three and two. Riley went for five and zero. Oh. Sorry, I went third person there. Um, and the actual record <laughs> it was a little weird. Bucks. Everybody got it was like a record <laughs> scratch. Like, what's happening? <laughs> and the Bucks actually obviously went four and one. So kudos to Kyle who. Uh, was at the game today and seemed to be having a, a jolly old time and periscoped with, with brew Hoop brethren, Gabe Stoltz as well. Shout out to Gabe. So uh, Kyle's definitely had my pessimistic view uh, may have colored my current prediction then for these, these, these next three, four games. So I'm guessing the bucks go three and one. And so I'll say the one loss is against golden state. I think I th- I'm going to, you know, place a vote of confidence in this team and see if, see if it pays off. So I'm, I'm going three and one. What about you? I am going to guess uh, two and two. Um, I think the one of the losses will be at Golden State. Like you said, they usually get up for it, and it should be a good game. I'm looking forward to it, but I don't think with the way that they're playing right now that the Bucks have enough for them. And I think the other loss will probably come at Denver, um, and that's only just because of history uh, until the Bucks start consistently winning on the road in Denver, which you know you have to wait a year between games. But I don't know they're just super red hot right now, and they're that it's it's just a tough place to play so and then clippers i have no idea what to make of them like i said they're kind of on the in between and then we seem to have had portland's number at least last year so i think Giannis will have himself quite a night uh, against on tuesday against the travelers so two and two for me yeah i think yeah i think one of that early season game last year against portland didn't Giannis have like 44 or something I, he went yeah that like game. that got the potential like the super low hype buzz for mvp that was like his announcement that okay Giannis has finally arrived was against the trailblazers yeah yeah that was like the epi- that yep that was definitely the epicenter and then kyle of course needed to get in his picks as well and he, he sent them in from the road he thinks they're gonna go two and two beating the warriors and the clippers um riley insert what kyle's commentary would be here um well uh, <laughs> no i'm trying to, i don't have a good kyle impression i have to work no. on it a little bit uh yeah. maybe we'll, we'll i'll work with him in a one-on-one to try and get a good impression down but i'm sure he would say that he has all the confidence in the world that the bucks would get up for the warriors and that the bucks would also get the revenge game against tobias harris and the la clippers uh because tobias left us how dare he Though he yeah, didn't actually leave us, he left us via trade. So yeah, yeah I think um, Kyle Kyle has a lot of revenge um, feeling in his heart. Wants to, <laughs> in his heart for those losses, I think he might also say um, hype train travels a little slower, you know, than than the flights typically might. So maybe they're going to be a little sluggish out there in Portland if they're going by train. So um, yeah, I think uh, I you're think right that. You're right that a win over the Warriors would definitely get the hype train started right back up. Like any yeah. sort of <laughs> any sort of win on the road against the Warriors would get it started. So maybe that's part of his secret hope. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Kyle, for throwing that in. And I hope um I bet we did it exactly justice. It's precisely what you would have said. Uh <laughs> all right. Well, I don't know. You got anything else, Riley? It kind of feels like uh, it is weird to just keep talking about seeing the Bucks just destroy a team. I don't know, like night after night. It's it's kind of bizarre to me. It's been a it's weird adjustment. 
it is really weird. I mean, it, even the most optimistic, uh, you know, people among the fan base slash in the brew hoop comments and things like that. I'm not sure if anybody would have seen an eight and one record to, uh, start the year as realistic so it's just kind of bewildering and we'll just see i I think this west coast road trip it might go it might be a little difficult so it might be the first like real bitter pill to swallow i mean losing as the celtics was but yeah to lose at some point but to finally start running into like consistent trouble um if that's the case i think it'll happen on this road trip and that'll be difficult but again early in the season everybody keep their heads up we'll be fine Yep. Yep. It's a long process. And I mean, the Bucks racking up these wins, it's starting to get to the point where it's going to be tough for this team to be like in the bottom to even like try and approach the bottom half of the East. I mean, even, even now at like eight and one, even if they went 500, the rest of the way, they win roughly like 44, 45 games. I mean, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a really good number for this team. So I mean, this early season success is really setting them up for even if they happen to go through a dry spell here and there, uh, it's it's putting them in a good position to potentially take a place atop the Eastern Conference there. So, agreed. All right, Riley. Well, we're going to sign this uh, this two hander podcast off, and we'll uh, we'll talk to everyone next time. Uh, make sure to review us and subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, obviously, check out Brew Hoop. We'll have plenty of stuff on the site as you're listening to this. Riley will have his his weekly Monday morning media roundup which is always a required reading for me uh and i'll i'll have a piece dropping today as well about the uh you know how to handle some of the team building aspects and you know systemic stuff that may have been uh, broached a bit in boston so uh make sure to go on follow us at at brew hoop on twitter um riley what's your twitter handle again i am at riley felbin and that is with two n's on the end and I'm at Adam R. Paris. I've even tweeted a few times lately uh, during games. Super active. It's a really, <laughs> it's really throwing me off to like just be sitting on the Twitter feed and then all of a sudden see you tweeting and it's not you know hyping up the podcast. So welcome back <laughs> to Twitter. It's been uh, it's been enlightening. So and we hope that this conversation has been enlightening. Uh, let us know any feedback you have for the podcast too. If you guys have stuff you want us to talk about, uh, we're we're always interested in more questions. Maybe at some point, well, if the Bucks keep winning here, we'll have to throw in a mailbag. So. Thanks again for always listening. It it really does mean the world to us and we'll catch you next time. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking.